So during the week when they said that we might have to become more socially distant from one another. It's just like the introverts are rising. Stay in my home and read for two weeks and not talk to people. I can handle that. But the reality is, right, we live in a pretty... um, Although our normal lives can feel pretty distorted at times, we can have unusual things that happen to us and throw a bit of a curveball, in all reality, we live in a pretty stable world, in this part of the world anyway, most of the time, most of the time. Our personal circumstances might alter a little bit, but we wake up every morning expecting certain things to be just the way they are. We rely on them. We expect certain cultural um, norms, certain things that should always happen in our culture. We expect them to be like that. Who would have thought that you could have gone to Coles and not bought toilet paper? Barely any of us. Two weeks, three weeks, a month ago, if someone had said to you, there's going to be a worldwide shortage of toilet paper. You might have sort of thought, well, that's all right. I've kept the last six months of the Herald, you know. (laughs) It's finally going to come to good use. Um, But when things like a pandemic, uh, uh, the coronavirus or SARS or the bird flu or any number of threats that have risen over the last century... When, when they crop up and they enter into the story of our life, the story of our communities, it's disruptive. It can be fearful. It can be fatal. All of those things are true. I was going to be preaching from 1 Corinthians chapter 3 today. Um, I sort of planned that quite a few weeks ago and wrestled with that passage and believe it has something that we need to address as a church. And yet in the last 24 hours, particularly as I've had conversations with some folks from here, some folks from wider than um, just Raymond Terrace, I think there is, despite the credibility or despite the sincerity or despite what you may think about just how serious this threat really is one thing that we can agree on is there are a lot of people who are very fearful at the moment and there are a lot of people who are feeling panicked at the moment there are there are a lot of people including many of us who are feeling at least very uncertain at the moment what will happen tomorrow what will happen next week How will this impact my life? How will it impact our culture and our community's life? I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful because I think it's a helpful thing for us to be every now and again shaken a little bit and and help us to identify what are the things that we find security in? What are the things that we find most comforting? What are the things that help us make sense of life? 
And sometimes it takes a threat like a coronavirus to just disrupt the normal fabric of our life enough that we start to realize we can't count on the world being just the way it is right now forever. We can't count always that things are going to be comfortable and calm and reasonably easy when you live life in the Hunter Valley in 2020. Where do we turn when that happens? So what I want to do this morning is just simply go through a psalm that I think speaks really well into this particular situation. It's Psalm 27. And it may very well be that there are some of you this morning that have walked in feeling low-level anxiety or maybe even higher-level anxiety. You're just hiding it well. Um, I think it'd be good for you this morning to hear what God is saying through this psalm. For some of you, you've sort of walked in just going, oh, come on, this whole thing will just blow over. It's not a big deal. Who cares? Well, here's an opportunity for you to be able to take the Scriptures and minister to someone who is feeling anxious. When you meet someone who says, you know what, I don't know what tomorrow is going to hold, I don't know how I'm going to be able to handle this, where will you turn in the Scriptures? What, what would you point them to? Well, I want to give you a tool this morning that you can minister to other people with who may be feeling anxious and frightened in these times. So Psalm 27, I'm going to read it through, it's only 14 verses long. And then we're just going to go back and step through a couple of sort of big observations about this text as we go through. I'm going to read from the English Standard Version. Psalm 27. Why don't you stand up? Stand up and read God's word. Stand before the Lord as we hear what he has to say to us. As you're doing that, I'm going to pray. Lord, as we hear your voice this morning, I pray that you would speak to those who are particularly feeling fearful or anxious and that you would bring comfort through your word to them. And Lord, for those of us who are dealing with people and um, having conversations through the week, Lord, I pray that this would become a means and a tool that we can take your word and minister it into other people's lives also. So help us to retain this and hear your voice clearly this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 27 says this, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Did I say I'm going to read from the English Standard Version? I'm not. I'm going to read from the Christian Standard Bible, okay? The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom should I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom should I dread? When evildoers come against me to devour my flesh, my foes and my enemies stumbled and fell. Though an army deploys against me, my heart will not be afraid. Though a war breaks out against me, I will still be confident. I have asked one thing from the Lord. It is what I desire. To dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking him in his temple. For he will conceal me in his shelter in the days of adversity. He will hide me under the cover of his tent. He will set me high on a rock. Then my head will be high above my enemies around me. I will offer sacrifices in his tent with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Lord, hear my voice when I call. Be gracious to me and answer me. My heart says this about you. Seek his face. Lord, 
I will seek your face. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not leave me or abandon me, God of my salvation. Even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord cares for me. Because of my adversaries, show me your ways, Lord, and lead me on a level path. Do not give me over to the will of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, breathing violence. I am certain that I will see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart be courageous. Wait for the Lord. That's God's word. Why don't you take a seat? I want to just step through it and make a couple of big observations. If you've got a pencil or a pen and you don't mind writing in your Bible or you've got a little notebook, you can um, jot these down. I was still um, rearranging this last night, so I would have put something on the screen. I'm sorry. Um, Okay, verses 1 through verse 3. You could put a bracket around that. If you wanted to give that little bracket of three verses a heading... Um, you could use something similar to this. Uh, God above my circumstances. God above my circumstances. That's the first observation that I want you to notice that this psalm leads us into. Psalms are a phenomenal um, part of the scriptures because it gives, I think it gives words to sometimes the longings of our heart that we find difficult to put words to. And God has, um, in his wisdom, given us the Psalms, songs and poetic devices to help us shape the emotions of our heart and give them words to express somehow. And here, what the psalmist is saying is that, God, you are above my circumstances. So I want you just to notice the wording that he's used. Firstly, in verse 1, he makes some statements. The Lord is my light and my salvation. That's just a statement of fact that the psalmist is wanting to say. The Lord is my light and my salvation. What you believe about God will shape your attitudes towards him. What you believe about God will shape your attitudes towards life. So the psalmist says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. And so now he poses a a question. It's a rhetorical question. Whom shall I fear? If the Lord is my light and my salvation, who have I got to be afraid of? And it's a rhetorical question because he doesn't give you the answer. He just assumes that we're going to agree with his answer, which is nobody, right? The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom should I fear? Who compares to the light of God? Who compares to the salvation of God? Who should I fear in light of all of those things? Nobody. The Lord is the stronghold of my life, he says. Now, a stronghold was usually some type of tower built in a region. And it's sort of like if in the days of you know, armed combat, armies going out or raiding parties coming into the country and destroying villages and towns along the way. A stronghold was a place that you could run to. And it was, you know, for those of you who are familiar with uh, the Lord of the Rings sort of analogy, it was Helm's Deep, you know. It's, it's a place that you could run to. It was fortified. It was impenetrable. And you could shore yourself up there. There was provisions there. There was water there. 
food there. You could sort of bunker down and it could be an army. It could be the Vikings. It could be the coronavirus. It doesn't matter. Let's go to run to our place and we're going to hide there. We're going to bunker down. The psalmist says, the Lord is my stronghold. That's where I run to. He's the place where I find my security. He's the place where I find my provision. He's the place that that feeds me and sustains me. He's the place that will protect me. My Lord is the stronghold of my life. And so he says another question, who should I dread? Whom should I dread? If I'm standing in the stronghold of Lord and I'm looking out over the, the... to the great rock wall, and I see the enemy coming towards me, he says, I can stand there confident with no sense of dread because the, the Lord is the stronghold of my life. What I want you to notice, though, is that he's not saying all of those things mean that no enemies come. He's not saying that because I've got the Lord here, no one's going to come for me. Because look what he says in verse 2 and verse 3. When evildoers come, right? When they come. When they come against to devour my flesh. When foes and my enemies, or my foes and enemies stumble and fell. Though an army deploys against me. Even though armies come. Even though enemies come. Even though threats come. And he finishes in verse 3 by saying this. I will still be confident. It's God above my circumstances that he's talking about. It's it's a confidence in who God is, despite what's happening around me. In times of great fear and in times of great anxiety and in times of great uncertainty, even like the days that we live in right now. He's saying, listen... God is my stronghold. God is my salvation. And even though all of these things are happening, I will still be confident. I'll still be confident because I know who my God is. God above my circumstances. All right, let's move on. You could put a bracket around verses 4 down to the end of verse 6. Maybe your Bible actually already adds paragraph breaks there. But you could put a little bracket around that. And there's two little headings because we're gonna this bracket's gonna sort of shift from one focus to the next, even within that bracket. Okay, so the first little heading that I would use, and it's probably verses uh, verse four really, it it talks about the where is the direction of your gaze? Where are you looking? Okay, that's the question that it's going to ask us. It's going to encourage us to look in a certain direction. And then it's going to affect, this is the second heading, the security of my heart. So the direction of my gaze directs the security of my heart. That's how this logic's going to work. So let's, let's have a look at what it says again. I've asked one thing from the Lord. It's what I desire. Okay, so we've... We now get a little insight into this um, psalmist, David, who wrote this. We're going to get a little insight into his heart here because he's sort of peeling back the layers a little bit for us. And he's saying, listen, there's only really one thing I want, one thing that I desire. Okay, so we should be sort of saying, well, what's that one thing? 
What is it that what is it that David desired? What is it David pursued? He tells us straight away to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Now it's quite possible that in the coming weeks, possible that if the coronavirus pandemic worsens in Australia, if the rate of um, transmission increases in our community, that the um, suggestion or the recommendation that was made, I think, on Friday and then reinforced on Saturday by the federal government that groups of people above 500 should um, not meet. That number could come down. They could start saying groups of 250 or maybe groups of 100 or maybe like they have already done in parts of the United States already, they have asked churches to not gather physically together in one building. Um, It's possible that those things could happen in Australia. I don't think we should read verse 4 as some type of Christian... Um, way of saying, well, let's stick it to the government. We're going to meet anyway. Because David says, one thing that I desire, to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I'm going to keep going to church. I don't think that's what he's saying. He's not talking particularly about a physical location or a particular building that he wants to be in. He's using the language to dwell in the house of the Lord. I want to be where God is. I want to be where God lives. I want to be in close proximity to him. I want to be at home with God. That's his desire. This building is quite nice. They did a good job of it when they decided to build it 20 years ago. Thanks, Austin, for your part to play in that. I don't mind it. I look back on 20 years ago and think, oh, I probably would have changed a couple of little things and you probably would think that too, Austin. But guess what? God does not live here. He doesn't live in this building. If you want to visit God, you don't have to come and come through those doors to visit him. He's here today because we're here today. He gathers with his church. He's amongst his people. I've asked one thing from the Lord, David says, and it's what I desire. This is his heart's posture towards God. This is his gaze. This is where he's looking. He's saying, I want to be where God is. That's how life makes sense for me. To dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. That's what I desire. He goes on to say in verse 4, gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking him in his temple. I'm looking to God. I want to be where he is. I want to be in the same place as he is. I want to be at home with where he is. That's my desire. That's the direction of my gaze. That's where I'm looking. That's how my heart is postured before him. For he will conceal me in his shelter. When God has included me to be a part of his family, David knows and David's declaring, that's my desire because I know that in God's hold, in God's embrace, in God's home, I'm welcome. He will conceal me in his shelter in the day of adversity. 
He will hide me under the cover of his tent. He will set me on a rock. God will do all of those things. Even though the circumstances of this life, even though the coronavirus rages, it doesn't matter what's going to happen. Our hearts and our eyes are set on God and we're saying, my heart and my posture is to be set solely on who he is. And I want to be where God is. And that brings a sense of confidence. Not foolishness, but confidence. A sense of being able to say, I know that my life is secure in God because he has embraced me. In verse 6 says, then my head will be high above my enemies around me. I'll offer sacrifices in his tent with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord like we read about in Psalm 100. Where God's people can be a witness and a testimony in a world which is rocked by uncertainty at the moment. Where our world and our neighbours and our country are sort of all of a sudden reeling and thinking, I thought that we were safe down here in the Southern Ocean. This sort of thing doesn't happen in Australia, right? The great powers of our world, the United States and Europe and Places who have sort of been so confident in their political strength to be able to sort of say all of a sudden rock to the core. Their sense of what's normal anymore. And God's people have an opportunity to sing songs of praise in the midst of that. God's people have an opportunity to stand out from the crowd in that and saying, yes, I know that this is uncertain. Yes, I know that there are very real fears around us. And yet my God reigns. And I am secure in him. And I look to him. And that's where the security of my heart is found. So then it becomes personal. Verses 7, and you could put a bracket down to probably verse 10. And I think here we we sort of see a, a sense of David's prayer life. Where he's stating that the security that he finds is actually in the relationship that he has with God. It's not about being in a physical location. It's not about just doing certain uh, religious things. It's actually about saying, my security is in my relationship with God. So let's read it again together. Verse 7. Lord, hear my voice when I call. Be gracious to me and answer me. So already we're getting a picture of David speaking with a desire and expectation that God would return and God would speak with him also. Lord, hear my voice when I call. Be gracious to me and answer me. My heart says this about you. Seek his face. It's true, isn't it, that sometimes that we can have real battles and arguments between our head and our heart. My heart says this, David says. My heart says, seek his face. I'm not sure what David's head was thinking at that moment. Might have been thinking something different. I've been in that situation. Something here, something in my heart says, I know this about God. And yet my head is filled with anxieties or worries or concerns or my eyes are fixated on my circumstances and they're starting to speak louder to me than what my heart does. But David says, listen, my heart says this about you. Seek his face. And then he says, Lord, I will seek your face. My heart says, God, you are my refuge and my strength. And so I'm going to say, Lord, you are my refuge and my strength. My heart says, Lord, you are my stronghold, a strong tower that I can run to. And so I'm going to say, Lord, you are my stronghold. 
You are a strong tower that I can run to. Much of the Christian life is bringing to alignment your heart and your head. That your, that your heart knows the truths of God and that your head would start to say, I am going to declare that. I'm going to hold on to that. I'm going to say that. I'm going to live that. I'm going to breathe that. I'm going to believe that. So my heart says this about you. Seek his face. Lord, I will seek your face. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You've been my helper. Do not leave me or abandon me. God of my salvation. Even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord cares for me. This is David's declaration that my security, my personal security, my circumstantial security, it's resting in the fact that my God cares for me. And yes, sometimes our head gets out of alignment with our heart on this matter. Sometimes we start to think, well, you know what? Does he care for me? Would this happen if he cared for me? And David's saying, hey, he's speaking to his own mind now. He's speaking to his own body and he's reminding it. Listen, get in alignment with my heart here. My heart's saying, seek his face. This is where I'm looking. This is where I'll find hope. And he declares it. And he's honest about his fears, right? He says, Lord, I'm speaking. Please don't reject me. I'm speaking. Please don't abandon me. I'm speaking. Please don't turn away from me. But at the end of this little bracket, he's still able to say, listen, the Lord cares for me. And he does. In the midst of all of these anxieties, in the midst of all these uncertainties, that we remind ourselves daily, the Lord cares for me. The Lord cares for me. He does. So seek his face. All right. Let's do this last little part. Verse 11 down to verse 14. There's two paragraphs in the way that my Bible's formatted this verse within this little section, but I've sort of just joined them together. And in it, we see a desire for protection that David prays. And then his final hope, a desire for protection, and then his final hope. Because of my adversaries, verse 11 says, because of my adversaries, show me your way, Lord. Okay, just hear what he's saying here. David's saying, listen, my adversaries are there. There's a very real threat. He's not blind to the threats. David's not sort of just living in some sort of spiritual cuckoo land where he thinks that because he claims the blood of Jesus, nothing bad happens. No. David is very real about the threat. David is aware of the threat. Because of my adversaries, what? Bunker down in fear? Panic? Buy extra toilet paper? (laughs) No. Because of my adversaries, he says... Show me your way, Lord. That's where I find hope, right? In God's path, in God's way. God, how do you want me to live? How do you want me to walk? Where do you want me to go? Because of my adversaries, because of this very real threat, it's even more important that I cling to God's path and say, this is God's path. Show it to me, Lord. Lead me on a level path, in verse 11 he says. Do not give me over to the will of my foes. 
for false witnesses are rising up against me, breathing violence. God, I know the threat that I want to walk in your path. Verse 13, this is his final hope. I am certain. Isn't that what so many people right now are longing for? Some, some certainty, something that they can cling to and say, I am sure of this. I am certain, he says, that I will see the Lord's goodness. I am certain that I will see the, the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Now, this is a prayer, and I think David is speaking to himself now. David has been speaking to God. He's been declaring and and sharing with God, this is my heart, this is my hope, and God, I, I cling to you. And now in the prayer, he's actually reinforcing and speaking to himself. And he says, listen, I'm certain. I'm certain that I will see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. I think this is another part of his efforts to align his heart and his head together. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart be courageous. Wait for the Lord. He says it again. Can you see how important this is for David and how important it is for us, particularly in times of uncertainty now, but times of uncertainty have have hit our, our world for centuries. Times of great war that have swept across our communities. Even in Australia's history, we've faced that. Times of imminent threat of the Cold War as we go back into the late 1970s and 1980s and everyone thought that there was going to be an atomic bomb that was going to wipe out the rest of the whole world. And we lived in imminent fear that that could occur at any moment. Or whether it's some virus that is a pandemic that that sweeps across our nation. God's people are able to come back to God's word and realize that we have a God who is above our circumstances. That, That it directs our gaze and our vision and it reminds us where is our certainty, where is our hope, and our hope is only found in the stronghold of God as we turn our attention back to him. That he then becomes the security of our heart. Not not the shifting sands of this age that can come and then be gone again. The the vapor that Solomon talks about in Ecclesiastes. The the morning mist that arises and burns away. There are so many things that we rest our security and our hope and our comfort in. And they can be good and yet they can disappear in a day. And David says, direct your gaze back to God. He is unchanging. He is the security of our heart. He then is the security within our relationship as I relate to him, as I dwell where he is, where I seek his face. And then, of course, we're not blind to the fact that we have to live in this world which is so filled with imminent threats. That's why we have put in place a few small changes to the way that we do things to say, listen, we don't want to be hysterical about this. We don't want to add to people's panic about this. But it is wise to think about the threats that exist. But we're not particularly worried about forming some sort of spiritual bubble around us so that you know we don't get sick. 
But how can we as God's people live in this uncertain community and show people the hope of the gospel? How can we engage with the world around us that is so filled with uncertainty? Isn't it that we are able to say, like the closing verses of this psalm, I am certain, I am certain that I will see the Lord's goodness. Wait for the Lord. Direct people's attentions and hearts. Direct your own heart and attention back there. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Be strong. Let your heart be courageous. Live courageously in this time. Not foolishly in this time, for certain. But courageously in this time, as we wait for the Lord. Lord, you are our stronghold. I hope that this psalm has been some comfort maybe to you, but, but I really hope that it's a tool now that you can take. Maybe you have family members or neighbors or people that you're engaging with. And, and if, if the conversation arises and you can sense their anxiety or their, their fears as they wonder what this world will look like tomorrow or the weeks ahead, why don't you take the opportunity to open up your Bible with them and say, can I... Can I read with you something that has been an encouragement to me? You might find that they're more open to it than they ever have been. And take them to Psalm 27. And if you haven't got down those little brackets, that's, that's all right. Pray, open up your Bible and start reading it with someone. And just watch what God might do. If you think those little headings would be helpful and you haven't got them down, just ask me. I'm, I'm happy to send them to you or something, and that might help direct your thoughts as you read it through with somebody else as well. But, but God can speak into this, and he is. Let's, let's hold on to him. Let's look to him. Though an army deploys against us, I'll still be confident. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for the way that you speak into our lives. We're grateful for the opportunities that we have to demonstrate the hope of the gospel that we have any day of the week, no matter what our circumstances are. But sometimes, sometimes in moments of great uncertainty in our world, we have an opportunity to speak that hope loudly because people are watching. So Lord, help us to be a people whose gaze is fixed on you. Help us to find our confidence in you. Help us to run to you as our high tower. Help us to find our security in our relationship with you. Our confidence in our relationship with you. And Lord, we wait for you. We do ask, Lord, for those that are already suffering, whether it be here in Australia or elsewhere with this virus and this sickness, that you would bring comfort and healing. Lord, I pray that your, your people would rise up all over the world to be beacons of hope as they minister boldly and wisely with the hope that you have given us through your word and in Christ Jesus, our Savior. So we look to him and we thank you for the way that you've ministered to us this morning already. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>